You're listening to Megiddo Radio. Megiddo Radio is a radio ministry of Megiddo Media. For more, visit our website at megiddoradio.com. That's megiddoradio.com. Welcome, everybody. This is Paul Flynn with Megiddo Radio for Tuesday, the 23rd of August, 2022. Thank you all for tuning in on today's program. We're going to be dealing with a video that I haven't done anything on Joel C in a while, but um, I'm going to be responding to a recent video sermon, if you if you could call it that, um, from pretty recently. It was basically saw the title in my recommendeds from YouTube and uh, the true you it's called. And when I saw that, I was like, oh boy, I can probably know where he's going to go with this. Um, take this out of the way here in the background. Now, I'm going to be putting this on YouTube as well. I don't know if I'm wasting my time because of the algorithm tends to bury has been kind of burying my YouTube channel for a while, so I've spent less and less time on YouTube over the last couple of years, and uh, it's become more of an echo chamber. So, for example, I think if you're a fan of Joel Osteen, you probably won't come across this video, but if you are, I pray that you'll uh, continue to listen to this and to the end of the program, because your eternal soul is at stake. If you believe what Joel Osteen's teaching, you don't know the true God and you do not know the the true gospel and I pray that you would listen until the end I'm not trying to do this to score points I'm not trying to do this for any other reason but for souls to be saved and for people to clearly see what the problem is I know everybody will say we don't like Joel Osteen because you know the the image in people's heads is well you've just got to be you know this thundering guy from the pulpit or, or and if you smile at all and if there's any kind of joy in the pulpit therefore you're not such a good teacher that this is not the angle i'm coming from at all uh preaching should be winsome preaching should be done in a way that is meek and lonely realizing that we are sinners we are frail creatures realizing that we need god's strength in doing these things and we we should do so with a warmth but also not neglecting to teach about the realities of hell, the gospel, and the dangers of not turning in repentance and faith toward our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So, again, the whole point of this is, hopefully, primarily, it is somebody who listens to Joel Osteen is thinking, I'm not sure what exactly is wrong with that. I I don't know if he's expositing, uh, if he's explaining the scriptures properly. Is he just giving me self-help, which that's all he's giving, and it's not very helpful. It is a message that will make you feel good in the here and now, in the short term. It will not be a message that will comfort you on your last moments. Because you're a sinner about to come before the presence of a holy and righteous God. A God who does not change. A God who who will not accept your sin. And either your sin has been dealt with on the cross, or your sin will be, will be, or you will be the object of wrath for all eternity in hell. That's what's at stake here. If you have a doctor, he may be very smiley, 
He may be very charming. He may be very lovely. You may feel very happy when he's in the room. But if he tells you that you're healthy, ignoring, say, for example, a a serious diagnosis, something like cancer, and he doesn't want to tell you the hard truth, the difficult things that people don't want to hear, well then, is that a good doctor? He's not doing his job, is he? And a preacher of the gospel is to preach the message given by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords himself. He cannot edit it. He cannot selectively apply it. And he cannot distort it in order to make it a man-centered man-exalting thing. Now, I don't know if I'm wasting my time putting this on YouTube. This is going to be on YouTube. This is also going to be on the usual place at radio.com. Not all the programs are on YouTube. Not all the programs are on YouTube. So you're, if, you're just, if you're subscribed to the YouTube channel, you're going to be missing a, maybe 75% of the programs from now on. Um, I plan to do another program this week, hopefully on, on the Westminster Larger Catechism. That won't be on YouTube at all. I don't know if I'm wasting my time putting this on YouTube, frankly, because um, the last time, I can't remember when it was, um, Lakewood Church, this is Joel Osteen's church, put out a false copyright claim against the channel. And if you know anything about copyright strikes on YouTube, larger creators are basically using the the very very faulty system that YouTube have set up, you know, when you're dealing with fair use copyright claims and all this kind of thing, it basically favors the person who's got the bigger channel because they can make claims all they want and they get, you know, they can they can threaten legal action and all this kind of stuff. So it's um, anyway. So I don't know if this will even remain on YouTube. It's it's a dishonest way of getting it off. I have made the video nice and small there in the corner, so hopefully this will not be a problem. It may be, and uh, I think I have a better idea how to counteract it now, but we'll see how things go. So, with all that said, let's get on and do this critique of Joel Olstein's sermon, The True You. The happy you, the successful you, the forgiven you. It's still in you. The beauty of our God is He never loses the vision of the true you. He still remembers the reverence He felt when He created you. Despite all the flaws... Notice how from the very, very get-go, the reverence is toward you. The mere creature, the infinite God, and this is blasphemy, utter blasphemy, the infinite God is in awe of the finite. Now, don't get me wrong. God does delight in his children because of Jesus Christ. But the gospel must always be a message that is God-centered. The preacher must always be God-centered in who God is. And the, 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 the reverence we are to have toward God not telling you how wonderful you are. Which is not true, by the way, but we'll continue. Weaknesses, disappointments, he still sees the masterpiece. He still knows who you really are. 
Well, God bless you. It's great to be with you today. And I hope you'll stay connected with us during the week through our daily podcast. I'm going to skip ahead here because um, they do the whole, he gives a joke. Uh, they put up the Bibles and they say, this is my Bible. I believe what it says it believes. And, you know, if you've seen at the start of all the, his if you can call them messages or whatever, um, that's what they do. And you've probably seen it a million times, so we're going to skip through that. Confess, my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. There we go. Wonderfully made. The word fearful in the original language means to stand in awe. Is a blessed person. Someone confident, valuable, talented. The scripture says, you have been fearfully and wonderfully made. The word fearful in the original language means to stand in awe, to reverence. It implies honor, respect. When God created you, he stood back in reverence. He looked at you in awe. He calls you a masterpiece. God didn't make anyone average. He didn't say... Okay, here's the thing, right? Anything that we have that is good comes from God. Okay, any, any skill you can do, any talent you have, it comes from God. Now, the whole point of what he's quoting from is Psalm 139, verse 14, which says, I will praise you. I will praise you. Why? Because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Notice how, look at, look at, the, look at what he quotes. Let's go back here, the deceptiveness here. This, this is deception. The scripture says, you have been fearfully and wonderfully made. The word fearful in the original... It is given as a reason to praise him. Not to be in awe of man. Not to say, oh, look how amazing you are. Here's how amazing you are. You see, the whole point of it is, God's works are amazing because he is amazing. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. And that my soul knows very well. Now, the world was created good. Even Adam Adam and Eve were created upright, holy, and good. But guess what happened after that? Sin entered in. And no longer are we objects of delight. In Adam, now an object of wrath. That is, by the way, outside of Jesus Christ, that is the true you. True you will get true justice. The workers of iniquity, God hates the workers of iniquity. Tells us in Psalm 5, 5. The wrath of God abides on those who do not believe. John 3, 36. That's you. You're not you. It's not like some separate thing between you and your sin. You are a sinner. We're all sinners. Anyway. Language means to stand in awe, to reverence. It implies honor, respect. When God created you, he stood back in reverence. He looked at you in awe. He calls you a masterpiece. God didn't make anyone average. 
He looked at you in awe. He's talking about how wonderful the psalm is about how wonderful the creator is. The heavens declare the glory of God. But what happens if we started to be in awe of the heavens? That's idolatry. We're to to look toward him rather than worshiping and serving the creator, the creation, sorry. You see this in Romans chapter 1, don't we? Yes, we enjoy creation. Yes, we, we rejoice. We love our neighbors because they're image bearers of God. But this is, this is not Christian. This is New Age. By the way, the New Agers... I remember years ago, you know, you used to read New Agers and stuff like that. Um, a lot of it was for research, and I don't recommend it. But you see the, some of the guys, the theosophists and all this kind of thing. They would quote scriptures too. If you didn't know what the context was, it would sound somewhat plausible if you didn't know anything about the Bible. So these people telling you that you're fantastic and wonderful are really doing, they're not telling the truth. The whole point of that passage, he he distorts. For you formed me, this is the verse before, the verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you. And why? For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works that my soul knows very well. When we look at the creation, we should appreciate it. But the awe goes into the fact of the one who made it. Not of the thing itself. We're in awe of the one who made all these things. He didn't say, I didn't do very good on that one. They have a bunch of flaws. They're going to be angry, insecure, jealous. You've been exceptionally made. But what happens is we go through life and we make mistakes, develop bad habits. People do us wrong and shame comes. It's called sin. It's called sin. And shame comes because we've got a conscience. We've been created in the image of God. And we know from, from even if you have no Bible, from general revelation around you, we know because of the heavens declare the glory of God. We know from the law of God written in our hearts. We know from creation, uh, it shows God's deity, his Godhead, as it will translate it sometimes. And so that we're all without excuse. Romans 2.15 talks about how the Gentiles even know that the difference, you know, the, the right and wrong. They have that uh, the general knowledge of things it's a conscience that we have that's where shame comes from we have shame because we have we have not done what we've been made to do why have we been made what is the purpose of why we have been made we have been made with a purpose 
this computer I'm recording this program on, if this doesn't work anymore, just say it doesn't work. It's no more good for anything. If if the lights don't work or whatever, what do you do with these things when they don't do the reason for which they've been made? What is the chief end of man? Westminster Shorter Catechism number one. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's why we've been made. And if we don't do that, we're going to be miserable. That's why we have been made. That's why there is so much misery around. Because we have turned away from what we've been made to do. To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Joel Osteen's Shorter Catechism says this. Well, it's basically... To glorify yourself and enjoy yourself forever. See how amazing you are. It is a man-centered religion. It is another religion. It has nothing to do with Christianity. It has as much to do with Christianity as any of the Eastern religions. And you might think that this is obvious to a lot of people. There are times when I've seen articles, I think even years ago, Michael Brown wrote about the Osteens and stuff like that in a kind of a very apologetic way. But I may may be misquoting him. Um, He certainly, Michael L. Brown is the charismatic apologist for the whole movement, and Joel Osteen's part of this movement, so therefore... um, Somewhat part of this movement with the with the prosperity gospel, which is no gospel at all. By the way, you're you're going to see this. You might think, well, what's the point point of this? Because a lot of people haven't seen this maybe up up close, especially listeners of this program. This is largely what you're going to find if you say, "I don't. I'm just going to try and grab a church service in some city while you're on holiday." You're going to hear a version of this, maybe not so as explicitly horrendous as this but you're going to get a version of this in various many places where the guy preaching is not preaching at all he's not preaching the gospel he sounds like he's giving a pep talk and how to live your best life now that person is not a preacher he's a hireling he's a man who's doing it for the wage he's he's serving people in the sense of he wants everybody to like him and it's a business. So you're going to see versions of this all around the place. I've seen, sadly, not as bad as this, but up close I've seen in in various different places, usually, again, Pentecostal churches. Usually the places that the celebrities go This is the kind of message the rich people go, the the Bonos of the world, all that kind of thing. Most of the time you wouldn't know they're Christian, or, you know, proclaiming to be, but I digress. But this, this stuff is more common than you think. And I mean, this is one of the most popular... He was talking about the podcast at the beginning. One of the most popular things under the umbrella of Christianity. 
Guilt comes, insecurity. We don't feel like a masterpiece. We feel condemned. How can I be successful? Look what I've been through. Or I'm struggling with an addiction. I'm not that talented. But underneath the insecurity, the bad breaks, the failures, there's the true you, the one that God created. Underneath all that is a deceptive heart. A lie. This is a bold-faced lie. I've often, I've, I've gone through Joel Osteen videos over the last couple of years, and a lot of them I've decided not to bother reviewing because it's similar to the stuff I've done before, but I think this is extremely grievous what he's saying in this, and extremely wicked and evil on a scale that beggars belief. This is so bold-faced, antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is such an insult. Jeremiah 17.9. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. The heart. Hey, you want to see what's underneath all of your mistakes and everything else? A wicked heart. It's out of that root that you will get the fruit just mentioned. They're not mistake. It is sin. You are a fallen creature. We are fallen in Adam, and we need a perfect, righteous Savior. Uh, Jeremiah 79, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. You say, well, that's not you. Deep down, you're, you're a good person. Whatever you want to call this, this is nothing, nothing at all to do with Christianity. It is nothing at all to do with Christianity. And when church, whenever the fear of man enters into, this can happen gradually in various different churches and diverse different places, people will gradually drift away from the gospel. And probably then their children end up in a church like this. And I think, well, you know, at least they're going to church. They're not. If the gospel is not preached in that place, it has degenerated into a synagogue of Satan. That's not a term I've, I've invented. This is found in the book of Revelation. And this is also found in the Westminster, Short, uh, Westminster Confession of Faith. Lakewood Church is a synagogue of Satan. There is no gospel there. You believe what this man says, you're twice dead. As Jude would say. Now, if you're listening to this and you're still alive, there's still hope. But flee from this. This is poison to your soul. Do we as Christians need encouragement? Yes, we do. All of us. But the encouragement comes in how wonderful Christ is, not in how wonderful you are, because we're not. We're not wonderful. We deserve death and hell. We deserve the wrath of God for all eternity. The true you is evil. The true me is evil. 
because we're fallen. And the standard that God looks for when we will stand before him one day is perfection, perfect righteousness, perfect holiness. And no one comes up to that standard for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So far, we have one text taken out of context, distorted, and used to say the opposite of what the Christian message is. The true you is the blessed you, the happy you, the successful you, the forgiven you. It's still in you. What? Why do we need to be forgiven if we're great, if we're wonderful, and if that's really the true you and underneath it? You don't need to be forgiven, do you? You need to be forgiven if you've got shame, real shame, real guilt, and that is you. You need to be forgiven. Now, he talked about blessed. What does it mean to be blessed? Blessed is the man who walketh not in, what is it again, Psalm 1. Talks about what it means to be blessed. Also, you go to Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, but let's just look at Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Now that blessed person, in the ultimate sense, in the person who keeps the law perfectly, uh, that person in Psalm 15, right? The first few verses of Psalm 15, verses 1 and 2. Lord, who may, dwell, who may abide in your tabernacle, who may dwell in your holy hill, who may come into your presence, basically. And it is a person of perfect righteousness. That is talking about Jesus Christ. That is not you. Now, when, we've, when we're in Christ, we have the, the fruits of the Spirit making us more Christ-like. But what do you mean about the, the true you? What we have in Jesus Christ, if we have repented of our sins looked at ourselves, looked at our true selves, and seen our greatest deeds are but filthy rags, and we see no hope in ourselves whatsoever, we flee from that. We flee from self, self-dependency, self-hope, self-help in this case, and we flee to Christ, the only Redeemer, the only Savior, to be washed You need to be washed. If you, if you finally see the true you, the sinful you, the fallen you, then you will see your need for a savior. Oh, I'm wonderful. I'm talented. I'm, I'm, I'm everything. This, this, is, this is the message for an egomaniac. This is, a, this is, uh, this is the opposite of humility. If you see yourself for who you are, you are a beggar, spiritually, a beggar. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The poor in spirit there is the idea of begging. You have nothing, you're destitute, you have absolutely nothing. Everything belongs to Christ. It is the true kingdom 
But he's gone from that reality and just said, well, you know, all those things that God says about the kingdom, God even says about himself. Oh, yeah, that's on the sinner. And not only is it's just who you are. This is utter paganism. The beauty of our God is he never loses the vision of the true you. He still remembers. What makes him amazing is he doesn't, is you. You know, he knows who you are. This is such blasphemy. Utter blasphemy. The reverence he felt when he created you, despite all the flaws, weaknesses, disappointments, he still sees the masterpiece. He still knows who you really are. But life tries to put all these things on us to keep the true you from coming out. Impatience, jealousy, bad breaks. The good news is God is not going to leave. Imagine that as a, as a defense in a court. You know, somebody's brought up in murder charges and Sorry, Your Honor, um, that wasn't the true me. You wouldn't want to convict the true me. Do you want to see the masterpiece underneath me? No, that is you. You do wicked things. You do all the things he's talking about because you've got a wicked heart. We all have wicked heart. That's why we need a savior. That's why God had to take pity upon us. That's why God had to be so merciful. That's why Jesus came into the world, to save sinners. Because your sin is so vile. We have fallen so far that it took the death of the Son of God, the only begotten of the Father, who is full of grace and truth, in order to rescue you, in order to wash you clean. The infinite God took upon himself the form of a servant and died. Why did he die if you're so wonderful? Underneath all that. There's wicked fruit because there's a wicked root in the heart of fallen man. Just like that. He's going to keep working on us, making us, molding us, until the true you comes out. The free you, the blessed you, the patient you, the victorious you. God specializes in removing everything that's not the true you. So when you stand before the throne room of God, you know, the gospel is then be yourself. Be the true you underneath, the live free and all this kind of stuff. Um, the true you will be cast into the lake of fire. The true you is going to be naked before the throne room of grace. Unless you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, unless you've been washed by the the blood of the Lamb. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, as John the Baptist said in in John 1.29. You need to be born again. Born again, before being born again, you're dead, spiritually. That's the true you, dead. A bad root, bad fruit. And if you believe what he's saying, there's no need for a savior. Not at all. 
God's going to do it anyway. You don't need to repent. You just need to see how wonderful you are. It's another gospel. It's an anti-gospel. Well, Joel, I'll always struggle with this addiction. I've had it since high school. It's just who I am. That is not who you are. That's something the enemy put on you to try. No, that is who you are. Who else is it? Who else is it? And by the way, all people outside of Jesus, anybody who's a slave of sin, serves sin. And that is you. You're not being forced to do something you don't want to do. Now, if you are in Jesus Christ, the enemy will try and, as in you've repented of your sins and you've trusted in Jesus and in him alone. The enemy, the accuser, the devil himself, will hurl accusations before the throne of grace. Yes. He will want to make you doubt your salvation, all that kind of thing. This is what the enemy does. But you just can't say that thing that you're doing isn't you. Now, if you've been washed, if you trust in Jesus Christ, you have been, you're accepted before the throne of grace and your sins will no longer be remembered. But it's not like you didn't do it. Think of what a ridiculous defense would this would be before the throne of Well, Joel Osteen once told me that it wasn't really me. Well, if it's not you, well, why would you have to repent if it's not the true you? How much scripture has been quoted here? The ungodly, the ungodly, what does it say in, for example, Jude 12, these are spots in your love feasts while they have, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Does you then say, well, that's not really them. They haven't discovered how amazing they are. Verses 14 onwards, it says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds. The ungodly of all their ungodly deeds. That's who they are. The ungodly do ungodly things. It's not like the wonderful do bad things from time to time. No, the ungodly do ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. Now, I am aware that... How long are we into this program? We're about 35 minutes into the program, and I'm not going to go past an hour. We are four minutes into the video. We're going to do as much as we can in the hour, and I think I'll have made all my points at that point. But anyway, let's continue. Keep the true you from ever coming out. The true you is free. 
The true you is whole. That addiction is not how your story ends. God is. If you're a slave to sin and you do not repent and you're not set free by the, by the Holy Spirit, then your story does end in chains. Even, let's look at impressive beings, shall we? Let's think of the angels. They're pretty impressive, aren't they? You know, if there was angels before us, we'd be like, whoa. In Jude chapter, in Jude 6, chapter, so I got one chapter. In Jude 6, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. If you're a slave to sin today, you haven't repented and trusted in Jesus Christ and you're still serving sin, that is you. Now, obviously this is speaking about the angels, but even the angels are in chains to be judged for their lack of holiness, for their rebellion against God. What, what are they? What are the ungodly? The godly are ungodly, again, are told uh, in Jude, once again, 16. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, not according to some other lusts, their own lusts. That is who they really are. They mouth great swelling words, flattering people. Does this sound familiar here? Flattering people to gain advantage. Joel Osteen is before thousands of people flattering them to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words that were spoken before you by the apostle. Remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that they would be mockers in the last times who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who caused divisions not having the spirit. How does he speak this way? Joel speaks this way because he does not have the spirit. He does not know the gospel himself. He is a false teacher. He is a false teacher. This is teaching. You have to go in the malice toward the scriptures, to abuse it in this way and to distort it to this end. Believing this message will send you to hell. And right now, freedom is coming. Chains are breaking. Strongholds are coming down. You're about to see the free you. You're about to step up to who you were created to be. The forces that are for you are... The, the more you believe this message that you're fine and everything else and coming is a better thing and all this kind of stuff, which is um, the law of attraction, kind of mysticism kind of thing, the more there will be change, the more you believe this stuff. The more change, the more darkness, and the, the further you are at enmity against God. Greater than any force that's trying to stop you. I'm calling out to free you.
the blessed you, the happy you, the favored you. Now get in agreement with God. Not I'll always struggle with this, but I am free. I am whole. You need to see the free you, not the defeated you, depressed you, the hurt you. See the happy you. See the successful you, the married you, the valuable you. Well, you may have gone through bad breaks. Someone walked out on you. You weren't over the valuable you. What do you do with a tree that does not produce good fruit? It stops producing good fruit. It is chopped down and thrown into the fire. What do you do with something that has been made for a specific purpose and doesn't do what it is meant to do? Do you keep a broken television? No, you throw it out. Do you keep a broken fridge? You throw it out. We need someone to stand in our place, to keep the law in our place. Because the true you is fallen, sinful, and in great need of a savior. He's in a good environment. It's easy to carry the hurts. Let that limit your vision. Carry the shame. Go around feeling unworthy, like you don't deserve to be blessed. Don't believe those lies. So it's a lie to say you don't deserve to be blessed. I don't deserve to be blessed. I'm a sinner. But I'm blessed by grace. The grace means I haven't earned it. And because I haven't earned it, I don't deserve it. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Not only does he get things wrong, he attacks specific, clear gospel teachings. If you're a Christian... You see how unworthy you are. If you're a Christian, you see that you don't deserve to be blessed. It doesn't mean that you're not blessed. If you're in Jesus Christ, you are blessed in him. For we do not deserve the least of God's mercies. I mean, how... Imagine telling this to just say after Babylon had destroyed Jerusalem... You just, guys, you just have to see the true you and how good you are. Is that the message that cost Jesus' life to a religious community? You just haven't seen the true you. No, Jesus said to them, before Abraham was, I am, and they picked up stones at the end of John chapter 8. Now, in Lamentations chapter 3, Lamentations chapter 3, it says this, Remember my affliction and roaming, The wormwood and the gall, my soul still remembers and sinks within me. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Now, they have been crushed because of their sin. 
because of the real them. They've followed their real hearts. And it says this in verse 22 of Lamentations 3. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Consumed. Because his compassions fail not. Because we're not worthy. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his yoke and his youth. And the book of Lamentations is a devastating book of the aftermath of the destruction of Jerusalem. Let us, verse 40, let us search out and examine our ways. Examine our ways. Why? Because we've done wrong. And turn back to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled. You have not pardoned. Verse 42. The enemy would love for you to live discouraged, thinking nothing good is in your future. No, the true you is still in you. Okay. Your future is wonderful and blessed if you are in Christ Jesus. If you have repented, but there's no mention of that anywhere. So he's basically calling God's message the enemy's message. Again, blasphemous. Happy you, the restored you, the valuable you. What people did to you did not stop the true you. What wasn't fair didn't change who God created you to be. God made us to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Okay, that's our chief end, the chief end of man. What about those people marked out for condemnation? Ungodly men? Crept in unawares in Jude 4? What about them? Who before, of long ago, were marked out for this condemnation. What about Sodom and Gomorrah? He's in the process right now of removing everything that's not the true you. The anger is not the true you. I'm just hot-tempered. I can't help it. My father was this way. My grandfather too. That's not who you really are. It may be the way you are now, but you're the one to break the cycle. You're the one to see it come to an end. The true you is... The solution is you, according to Joel Osteen. Not Christ, not the Holy Spirit. No, no mention of that because God has no place in his theology. God is there to serve the needs and the whims of man. That's this theology. Calm, cool, and collected. Don't buy into those lies that you can't change. God is removing everything. Yeah. You can't change in and of your own self. You're a slave, but in Christ Jesus, 
You can change. God changes those in Jesus Christ. It's not the true you. He loves you too much to leave you alone. He's going to keep working on you until he sees the masterpiece who he created you to be. In the early 1500s, a 26-year-old artist named Michelangelo had a dream to sculpture King David out of a huge piece of marble, 12,000-pound block that stood over 20 feet tall. He worked tirelessly for two years, chiseling and shaping with great precision, great detail. When he revealed the finished product, this 14-foot-tall marble image of David, it was magnificent, so beautiful, so inspiring. Someone asked Michelangelo how he could accomplish such an incredible feat, how he could make this amazing statue out of an old piece of rock. He said, I had a vision in my mind of King. Um, the rock is not like, well, you're going to say every true rock is, is a work of masterpiece? I don't know where you're going with this, but we'll see. David, and I just kept removing everything that wasn't him. That's the way God is. He knows who we really are. He can see the master. Well, really, you. Um, not to be picking holes in this, but... Uh, unless David's actual marble, but we'll continue. He's in the rock. And throughout life, he'll keep removing things that are not who we are. The impatience, the insecurity, unworthiness. The heart? Uh... Where is this in the scriptures? Where is this in the scriptures? Sounds nice, doesn't it? Um, if you've been born again, and you're in Jesus Christ, you're in union with him, you will be sanctified. You will grow in sanctification. And that is likened to a physician working, healing you. You grow in holiness. It's different to justification. Justification is the work of God as a judge, declaring you to be righteous before God. But in and of your own self, you're not righteous before God. You need help. And so God changes and conforms you into the image of Christ. Repenting of your sins, your rebellion, and becoming more like him, who is true God and true man, the Lord Jesus Christ. This makes man, mere man, fallen man, the standard. I hope you see how wrong this, this truly is. Valuable. Look at what I've been through. Chisel, chisel. That's not who you are. The pride, the arrogance, chisel, chisel, that doesn't belong on you. No mention of scripture anywhere. There hasn't been a mention of scripture in was it, five minutes of this so far. And he's made a lot of claims, a lot of bold claims. Not one single scripture except from that text in was a Psalm 136. The unforgiveness, the resentment, they hurt me. They did me wrong. Chisel, chisel, that resentment is not who you are. I'll never do something great, Joel. Nobody in my family is successful. I'm not that talented. Chisel, chisel. 
that limited mindset, that mediocrity doesn't belong on you. It may try to come, try to distort your image, affect your personality, limit your future. The good news is we have someone far greater. What about what Jesus said? Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, meek, meek. Go through the, the Beatitudes. The poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, again, lack. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Persecuted. Then Michelangelo working on us. We have the creator of the universe... The God who makes spectacular solar systems, magnificent mountain ranges, amazing sunsets, that's the artist that's working on you. He's chiseling away everything that's not the true you. We have been turned, we have, this, this image of God turns him into a mere servant, makes the infinite God one who serves at the whim of man's desires. This is all about the glory of man. It's not about the glory of God. See, he can see things that we can't see. So often, we let our circumstances determine who we are, how people treat us, determine our value, how good we perform, determine our worth. God looks beyond all that. Like in the scripture with David, he sees the giant killer in the ship. What does God do? What is the image he gives of sinners who are... Again, not what they are meant to be. If we go somewhere like, I don't know, John 15. I am the vine. This is verse 5. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me... He is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them. Okay, here, here is the one who does all the things, you know, the temper, basically sin. Let's call it you know, sin. That's what the Bible says. Um, cast out a branch and withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Burned. That's your value. Outside of Christ, you are an offense to God. And outside of Christ, as an offense to God, God is only to you a consuming fire. His wrath, His holy anger will be poured upon you. I say all this that you would flee and not listen to lies that tell you that you don't need a savior. That's basically what this says. God's working. You're amazing. The future's great. You just have to see how wonderful you are. Oh, yeah. Boy, like with Gideon, he sees a mighty hero in a man that's hiding, afraid, intimidated. Like with Rahab, he sees a respectful, honored woman that's in the family line of Jesus in a former prostitute. God knows what's in you. You may have made mistakes, done things that you're not... Rahab was shown mercy. 
and would have been under the ban, the um, given over to destruction, had she not repented and trusted in the Savior, just as everybody else. Now, Achan did what was in his heart and followed his true self and brought the wrath of God upon himself and his family. So, proud of, God sees the redeemed you, the restored you, the honored you. You may be intimidated, thinking you're not that talented. God sees the giant killer. He sees the history maker in you. Or maybe life has thrown you curves. You've been hurt, abandoned, betrayed. God sees the valuable you, the blessed you, the favored you. Nothing that's happened to you has changed the truth. Again, this is completely antithetical to the gospel. I think we'll just leave it there. Um, it might give me a bit of chance to perhaps actually be able to keep this up. Nine minutes and 35 seconds. I think really seven minutes of the 30-minute video. I've commented on it in between. I'm pretty sure that that keeps up with fair use copyright law. But Lakewood, if you want to take down the video, I don't know. I don't know what to say. So um, let's look here at what he really says of you, the true you. Uh, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me, you need to repent of your sins and trust in him. And without him, you have no hope. No hope whatsoever. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. They are burned. That's what awaits the person. And dear friends, either you're an object of wrath outside of Christ, or you're, yes, an object of delight, but because of Jesus Christ, not because of anything in you, but because of Jesus Christ. This is my beloved Son, God the Father said, in whom I am well pleased. It's been Paul Flynn. May God bless you all.